newest research is showing us that the life around us defines the life inside of us. Or, in other words, that we are mostly put together by bacteria and cells that are not human, but rather other life forms, and that the strength and health of those bacteria very much defines how we are going to live healthfully or not. The environment we live in defines us, and our lifestyle does as well. We are speaking about a documentary series that is unraveling the secrets to a healthy life. It's called The Human Longevity Project, and we have the producer on our show today. And that is our topic here on An Organic Conversation in this week's episode. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. Is it really that simple that food, some exercise, a good sense of community and less stress are the key building blocks for a healthy life? Intuitively, we know that this is true. That after years of research and newest scientific findings in regard to gene expression, aging and chronic diseases, we have may just found the key to unlock this mystery. By looking at the healthiest cultures around the world and new studies, we're attempting to unravel the secret to a healthy life. That's the Human Longevity Project. And the producer, Jason Prawl, is our guest today. All that and more coming up in just a minute here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helge Helberg. This show is brought to you by Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. Our focus in this week's episode is the Human Longevity Project, unraveling the secrets to a healthy life. And the director, writer, and producer of the Human Longevity Project, who's joining us today from Seattle, Washington, 
humanlongevityfilm.com is the website, is Jason Prawl. Jason, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I am great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It's uh, a little bit rainier and colder up here in Seattle compared <laughs> to where, where I'm normally at, which is San Diego. Oh, yes. Nice. But the Human Longevity Project is beyond the West Coast, really a national and even an international study, a series of documentaries and so much more. We want to have you talk about that in a minute. But how did you get into this work? What inspired you? What is your personal story and background to, to pick this topic up and make it your, your life's work? Well, I, I, I kind of came into it from a, a strange angle. I was a mechanical engineer for 10 years, and, and uh, through some of my own health challenges, chronic health issues that I dealt with, you know, and I couldn't get answers to, uh, I, I was sort of forced to look at that um, and figure out for myself what was really going on. So that that sort of self-discovery of health and, and the medical paradigms that we are currently faced with kind of thrust me into this world of, of um, integrative health, functional medicine, however you want to frame it, but but a more holistic view of health. Mm -hmm. So I started... Uh, started working as a practitioner, helping, you know, as I uncovered more and more and started to see some of the lies that were out there, some of the untruth, some of the the fraud. I mean, there, you know, it, it's a range of outright, outright fraud and lies and corruption to some other spectrum of we're just getting it a little wrong. You know, um, we're, we're, we're not addressing it the right way. We're not thinking it the right way. So there's sort of this big spectrum of, of just not doing it right. And I think... Um, And As you, you, you're saying, in, in terms of claims, health claims, products, or what are exactly yeah. you are you're speaking about? Just the framework of medicine, of, of the system that I'm familiar with in the U.S. and in the West uh -huh. in general. You yeah. know, this whole medical paradigm of here's a drug for your problem, and this will solve it, right? And um, it, it, for, for those of in the U.S. and some other Western nations, we're bombarded with commercials on TV about drugs, you know, and so... All of this stuff that is really, I think, at the core of the issue, which is to say that if you have a symptom or a health issue, here's your fix. And this can be in the form of a drug. It can be in the form of a supplement. But it's this sort of quick fix solution that we're, that we're looking for. And, and it's always, always symptom-based, right? If you say you have a headache, you get a, a remedy that takes headache away with some side effects, most often, at least long-term, if you do it. Uh, but it doesn't really address of why do you have the headache. It's completely yeah. symptom-based, not cause-based, right? You might just be it, dehydrated and you're not helping your body taking the pain away because the body is trying to communicate. Right, exactly. And, and, and that's the thing. And so when we get into sort of more of a, a you know, the allopathic medicine, it's, it's drugs that do this. And then we get into more of holistic or naturopathic medicine, we can, we can fall into the same trap, right? Here's an herb to fix your problem. Here's a, you know, a, a, some sort of plant or here's <laughs> this or that. So and true. while that's better than a pharmaceutical medication oftentimes in mm -hmm. terms of the, the chronic nature of, of the, the downstream effects, it's still not looking at, well, what's causing the problem? Where is it really stemming from? And You know, as I sort of unwound this whole puzzle, and it took many, many sort of years for me to understand some of this stuff, um, you know, it, it comes back to lifestyle. And it comes back to the way that we think, the way that we feel, you know, our emotions, the way that we communicate with our environment, uh, the way that we behave. And, uh, of course, this is diet, this is exercise, this is sleep. It's all these things. And when we don't do these things correctly or we're not integrating with our environment, um, correctly, then symptoms will start to show up. And so that's what I sort of started to understand as I worked with a lot of people with their chronic health issues. 
autoimmune conditions, cancers, diabetes, digestive issues, you know, these type of things. I found that while I can run some fancy tests and I can get down to the bottom of what's going on, you know, biochemically, what it still didn't explain why the problem was there. And so um, as I started to understand that more and more, I thought, well, you know, there's places around the world where people are, are healthy, you know, and they don't have the best systems of medicine. They don't have, you know, um, a lot of money and a lot of infrastructure and, and resources dedicated to being healthy. They just were healthy. And so yeah, there's been some study into this, and, and there's been a lot of great work. But um, the work that's been done, I, I thought, wasn't as maybe medical or as um, scientific as it could be. So I thought, you know, this would be a really cool way to go and look at uh, some populations and some people around the world and uh, yeah, look at be- their lives. Beautiful. So what's your goal with this, with this work, with this approach? What was your hope that you would would find or create and tell us about the human longevity project. What is it? Yeah. Well, I wanted to, first of all, I think we wanted to show what healthy aging looks like Uh because most of us don't know what that looks like anymore. Um, We've lost touch with what it, what it, what what you can do at 95 or 102, right? We, at least in where I'm from, it's very much this idea that once you hit 65, it's all downhill. Right. And so, uh, we wanted to show what that what what really looks like at 95 to be sort of healthy uh, or to be aging well. And then I think the other thing was is that we wanted to bring a historical context to the discussion, which I think often gets lost. Um, so in other words, we we don't think about some of these people and their lives. If you have a hundred year old today, that means they were born in 1918. Well, most places around the world, especially if they were not in Western sort of societies, a very different you know uh, environments in 1940 to Greece, <laughs> you know? So we wanted to paint a historical picture, really cover that. And then the other part was is that we wanted to show uh, through film what these environments look like. And um, I think there is a little bit of a power in, in not just telling about the, the environments, but showing what these places look like, because it's, it's a little bit different, I think, than most people think. So the Human Longevity Project is a series of, of videos, at first at least? Tell us about yeah, that. So it's, yeah, it's, nine, it's a nine-part documentary film series. So we're going to be airing this um, on, on the Internet for free. And it is, uh, like I said, nine parts. And the idea is to go through and understand a little bit about lifestyle aspects that are either contributing to uh, healthy aging or perhaps doing the opposite, which I think is what, what I'm definitely seeing in the U.S. and I think a lot of Western places are seeing. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, even some of the regions around the world that have been known for their longevity – are starting to see a decline in their uh, both their lifespan or life expectancy and sort of the healthy markers that they've been known for because uh-huh. of maybe Western influences and modern-day influences. So that's really the goal is to, to look at all these lifestyle factors that are either contributing to health or taking away from health. And what are you finding um, after that, that series has been completed, right? You, you have produced yeah. it. You're the director, writer, and producer. And we are speaking with Jason Prawl from the Human Longevity Project, Unraveling the Secrets to a Healthy Life in this week's episode of An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. That website is humanlongevityfilm.com. Check it out, all one word, humanlongevityfilm.com. Jason is joining us from Seattle, Washington today. What did you find, uh, good and bad and ugly? What are the key factors to human, human health and the avoidance of chronic disease or the stimulants of chronic disease? I think it is, I mean, to, to keep it succinct, I would say the, the real keys are simplicity, 
uh, slowing down and integrating with uh, nature or optimize or, or, or following the rules of nature. And what I mean by that is that if we look at our modern world, the modern society that is created, everything is kind of artificial, right? We have chemicals and plastics and artificial lights and artificial relationships, and everything seems to be a little bit more uh, of a human creation as opposed to more driven by, by natural means. And what we noticed as we went around to a lot of these places was that they lived very simply. They did things. They weren't driven by convenience and by um, efficiencies of time, but rather the right way to do things. And so just as an example, um, you know, washing your clothes, right? We, most of us, uh, you know, have washers and, dry, uh, and dryers, and we use detergents and these type of things to wash our clothes. Well, you know, 50 years ago in Costa Rica, they were washing their clothes in a completely different manner down by the river, you know, hanging their clothes out to dry. And that's just one example. Now, that took them a lot longer, right? That was a much bigger task. Um, you know, they would often have to walk a, a kilometer or two down to the river. And so we have to think about these things in terms of, you know, okay, that's great that they're living long and healthy, but most of us probably wouldn't even make that trade-off, right? What, so what is very, it about that, though, when you, when you wash your clothes at the river? Not good for the river if you use a modern detergent, modern quote-unquote, right. but besides the environmental impact this might have today if everyone went down to the river, what did you find that, what, what's, the, what's the point of, uh, what's the health benefits of washing your clothes at the river? More time with yeah. community, with other women speaking, um, I, or I, what I, is it? I think there's a lot. There's a lot there. So, you know, um, first of all, the work that it takes to get, get to the river with your clothes, right? right? You're, so you're walking. The, you're, you're walking, you're, you're carrying things. It's, it's more work, right? So there's that component. Um, another component would be that you're actually um, physically integrating with the environment. So you're literally touching the earth, right? You're getting the microorganisms from the water, from the soils, from uh, the air, from everything around you. You're integrated with the environment, whereas Nowadays, we spend most of our time inside, and so you're you're quite literally integrating with your local environment, and this becomes critical for for this the microorganisms that end up providing healthy signals for us. So we need to be integrated with that. Um, the other aspect is that we're outside, so um, our eyes take in the sunlight, and even if it's not sunny, you know, just daylight, um, and those those daylight signals through the eyes actually create hormonal cascades. Um, they set your circadian rhythm, they, which means that you're going to sleep better because your melatonin is going to be produced at night and your cortisol is going to be uh, rising during the day. So we can get really complex with this, or we can just understand that light through the eyes is a really good thing for our hormonal system. Um, and lights on our skin. So, you know, vitamin D, uh, you know, we're outside in, in the environment. It might be a cold river, so now you're, 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 you're integrating with cold. We've completely isolated ourselves from temperatures. Um, But we know that, that cold baths and cold thermogenesis is a very healthy thing. You know, uh, the Swedes and the, the Finnish have known this for years, and the Russians, right, uh, and, and Iceland. I mean, lots of places around the world still do this. They, they, they go and do cold baths, you know, um, and then we have the heat. So depending on the time of year, you might be really cold when you're going to wash the clothes, or you might be really hot. And so you can see how it's not convenient, and it may not be, quote-unquote, fun. But it's, it's working in so many natural things. And I would say the other component is the, this idea of, of, a, of, a, of a task, of a physical task that your mind is not wandering on, right? So if anybody's like um, done some work in their backyard or maybe they're remodeling something or painting a wall, mm -hmm. 
you can kind of lock in mentally on what you're doing, right? And you're not checking emails and have a million things going on and somebody bugging you and your mind's not racing in 20 different directions. You're focused on the task at hand. So, and keep in mind, this is just one example. <laughs> and you're, right? you're focused on a real task, like, right, that, that includes exactly. physical, outside, like all of it. Um, it's so interesting how hunting compared, compared to being on your phone ordering a pizza Uh, yeah. it's, it's literally we have stripped the push of a button, you know, click here and you get the salami pizza home to your house. <laughs> If that's what hunting has become for us now in just a few hundred or a few thousand years, we have stripped the, the generation of food to really to one click on an app rather than yeah. the mental, physical, spiritual, heart based, you know, work uh, exercise being totally focused on the prey. Everything about it is gone. Absolutely. And, and same with gardening and, and growing your own crops, right? Yes. Because, you know, growing your own crops, is that's a work, right? And we were, you know, the stories that we got, from, you know, we spoke with a lot of these people uh, that were in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond 100 in a lot of these places to get their stories, to hear their lives. And, and these are the things that we were being, you know, shown was that they were working hard, you know, producing food. And so here's the interesting thing about that. If you're growing your own food or you're, you have to go get your own food and, and, or, or hunt your own food, there's some work in that, right? And because there's work, you're not going to overeat. Because if you overeat, that just means you have to do more work. So it becomes silly. So in other words, you, you, you only produce as much as you really need, mm -hmm. and you only eat as much as you really need because you don't want to produce more. So there's, there's not really this um, storage of food. As, as, as we do here in, in modern cultures. So, you know, they don't overeat, and they eat real food, and they do the work, and it just makes more sense. And they have to follow the seasons, right? So if it's mango season, you're going to eat mango. You know, you, you, you're not going to eat things that are out of season because it just doesn't make any sense, and there's no way to do that. So everything is driven by the cycles. Everything is driven by nature, and you operate within those parameters. And it just so happens that when you do that, we become healthier. Uh, we, we, this is how we've been operating for thousands and thousands of years. So it, it only makes sense logically. Yes. And I mean, each point you're making, as you said, could be stretched out even more. So I'm a, um, holistic nutritionist by, uh, and, and I studied that a few years ago and calorie reduction is now recognized as one of the key, uh, components in reducing chronic inflammation and even cancers. Um, yeah. So what you're saying is when you hunt, you get what you what, – and you make it last, right? That's the whole point. Right. You, you harvest wild grasses and herbs and whatever you may find. But it's our calorie-dense – and we're not even talking sugar yet, but just our availability of food at any time 24-7 uh, from, a, from a gas station. Um, it's, it's literally – we have turned the entire system on its head. <laughs> right, right. And, and if you think about uh, most of these places in 1950, for example, they didn't have electricity, right? So um, they couldn't store, they didn't have refrigerators, they yes. didn't have freezers, you know, they might have ice boxes, maybe, uh, but even that's really hard to produce. So they, they weren't able to store food like we can here. Uh, they had limited capacity to do so, and they also wouldn't, wouldn't have the ability to, to carry food. So, you know, everything changes. And this, I think the reason that we wanted to paint this historical picture was because it starts to really put this into perspective on how different our lives are. And the important thing is not to say, okay, we have to go back and live like they do. 
because that's not possible. And I don't think we'd want that, you know, um, even as I saw this and, and spoke with these people, I understood the profound nature of, of their lifestyles, but I don't know that I would want that um, because literally they were working to survive every day. Now, they happen to really like their lives, but, you know, that we kind of all do. We all look back <laughs> with fond memories, right? So um, the, the, the interesting thing about that is not to say, okay, let's live like them, but rather, how can I understand and take the key components, like you just mentioned, you know, this idea of calorie restriction or intermittent fasting, right? Periods where I have, you know, sustainable, uh, you know, sort of sustained amounts of food and then periods where I don't have a lot of food, right? And sort of this cyclical nature of fasting and feasting. And it turns out a lot of the world's religions have a period of fasting. So, you know, it seems fasting seems to be sort of this idea that has been worked into a lot of cultures over over uh, you know history and, and throughout the world, and so we're now starting to see the science bear this out. And that was really what we wanted to do with the film was to marry the story and this this maybe logical and evolutionary biology mm-hmm. and historical context with the modern science. And it turns out that the modern science is now starting to explain what all these people have been doing <laughs> and why it's working. And so I will summarize this after the break that we need to take right now. But um, beautiful, beautiful work, super interesting project. And we do want to differentiate your findings per country or region, maybe um, your learnings and how we can restore ill health as well. What are your recommendations? All that after the break. We are speaking with Jason Prawl, the director, writer and producer of the Human Longevity Project, who's joining us today from Seattle, Washington, Human Longevity Film. Dot com in this week's episode of an organic conversation the human longevity project unraveling the secrets to a healthy life i'm helga helberg and we'll be right back with so much more stay tuned And we are back here to an organic conversation, The Human Longevity Project, Unraveling the Secrets to a Healthy Life. That's the title of this week's episode here of An Organic Conversation. And we have Jason Prawl, the director, writer, and producer of The Human Longevity Project, on the phone with us today from Seattle, Washington, humanlongevityfilm.com. Jason, before the break, you were basically summarizing, and I hope I'm doing this right, as a sedentary lifestyle outside of nature without the exposure to, you know, substantial daylight, a lack of focus on on real complex tasks, however easy or simple they may be, like washing, washing the dishes or going on a hunt, but the focus on a screen basically would be the equivalent uh, negative version of that. And too many calories... Are, are roughly the framework to uh, have the least chance to a healthy life. Is that a, if do I do am I doing a good job? Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good um, 
pretty good summary. I mean, there's so much to it, but I think if we can start, <laughs> if we can start there, um, you know, I think we can definitely make a lot of progress. <laughs> good. Yes. So since we, as long as I don't forget a major point, but um, and in your research, have you what what were your findings in regard to region, country? What's the greatest chance for um, chronic disease-free life uh, nowadays that you've seen people have adopted or, you know, uh, went there and then have returned? Or is it a, a steady decline? How can we integrate those aspects that are just uh, listed into a, a modern, quote-unquote, lifestyle? Or what, are, what do you recommend? Yeah, I think there's no getting away from the modern world. You know, we, we're going to have technology, right? We're, we're on computers and cell phones right now, right? I mean, this is part of our life, and that's okay. Um, I think we have to just recognize the balance. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's going to take some effort. You know, it, here's, the, here's the, the key, is that with, with the people that we spoke with and the environments that we were, um, you know, sort of looking at, the healthy lifestyle was just a part of their culture. That's just what they did. That was just their life. They didn't make efforts. They didn't have to really think about a lot of this stuff. So it was sort of easy for them, if you will. But for us, it's much harder. We have to actually make a concerted effort to get outside. You know, most people's tendency is not to go outside in the morning. It's to get up and get their coffee and go, you know, read the paper or go uh, take a shower and these type of things. Maybe turn on the TV or check the email. So we have to make a concerted effort, I think, to re-engage with the world around us. So it can literally be simple. It's something as simple as when you get up in the morning, go outside and go for a walk. Take your tea, take your dog, take your kids, or just go by yourself. You can listen to a podcast or a radio show, you know, but get outside and just go for a little walk. 15, 20 minutes um, of getting that exposure to daylight is profound. And these are the, we go over the science of why it's so profound in the film, but, but just trust me when I say there's real, real science to show how important that is. So, um, you know, something as simple as that. Before um, you I do think. anything. So you get out of bed and get dressed and go exactly. for a walk first, expose yourself as if you were, you know, getting outside of a tent or something as if you were in nature, living in nature. Exactly. Yeah, very simple. And and the thing is, is that it's, because, it's mostly because of the light. The light is entering our eyes, which sets the signal in the brain. The brain says, oh, okay, I know what time of day it is. It's 7 a.m. Therefore, I need to operate this program and that program and turn mm -hmm. on this and turn down that. So we have to understand that our biology is dictated by the light cycle. And so if, if we get these artificial light signals that are coming from inside and computer screens, our biology reads that as a different signal. And so we have to really reintegrate with the natural rhythms. But the other thing it does is just getting outside, breathing fresh air, um, being surrounded by nature if you have that opportunity. That I mean, that spikes different neurotransmitters in the brain. It calms us down. It makes us happier. Um, it gets rid of depression. I mean, science is explaining all this now, right? I mean, it's almost funny that we have to have science explain this to us, that walking in nature is a good thing, but it's cool that it can. And so I think we need mm -hmm. to understand this. Stuff. Totally. So, I, so, so, so you see what I'm saying? So it's very simple, but if we can just start to integrate and, and adopt some of these things and make a concerted effort to do so, um, we, you know, we can really make headway. And it's, the, the, the problem is, is that these are not the things that our doctors are going to tell us. Your doctor's not going to tell you when you get up in the, you know, if you have diabetes, instead, go, what you do is you get up in the morning and just go for a 15, 20-minute walk to get natural light in your eyes. Um, they're not going to tell you that. Uh, we're not there yet, unfortunately. But it's insanely powerful. Well, you, yet, you take a sleeping pill or you, you know, you, you compensate right. a bad sleep rhythm with coffee all day, which totally exactly. offsets everything in your clock yeah. to begin with. And that, yeah. And that light actually improves melatonin production at night. 
so it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like, okay, so you're telling me that morning sunlight actually improves melatonin and sleep at night? Yeah, it's exactly how that works. So the other side of it is also true, which is that we need darkness at night, right? We didn't, prior to, you know, 1900, and in, in the U.S. anyway, and prior to 1950 or 1970 in some parts of the world, they didn't have to worry about this. They were using, you know, oil lamps and other, other forms of light, but they didn't have artificial, mm-hmm. you know, CFLs that we have today. And so they didn't have to think about this. But now that we have big, bright TV screens and big, bright computer screens and our kids are looking at their cell phone at 9.30 at night in their bed, this is a problem. And it's telling your biology something totally different. Um, so w- these are very, very simple, you know, tricks that we can use. Um, but they're really just trying to go back to what, what our biology is known for eons. Um, you know, and that's just one example. But, you know, I think eating more organic whole foods, you know, right now there's big debates over how much fats we eat and proteins and animals and vegetarians and all these different diets. But I think the first step is to eat organic, you know, hopefully whole organic foods that are perhaps produced locally. You know, that's like sort of step one. And then you can debate which foods you should be eating. But I think if you're skipping that first step and trying to determine how many carbs and proteins and fats and these type of things you're eating, you're kind of missing that big, big component there. So it's sort of just simplifying this stuff, right? I mean, does anybody debate that, uh, you know, a, a raw organic a cucumber is healthy for you, you know. I don't know anybody would say that's not healthy, <laughs> right? But we, we I'm we sure there's somebody out there. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful. It's keep keep simple. keep going. Um, we so the next part is focus. Um, as yeah. you know, we're completely screen based now in automated well, self driving cars. Soon, what would you recommend there? <laughs> You know, it, it, one of my favorite quotes that I heard from uh, a guy in Greece, and I think he was 98 years old, um, I asked him what's changed. You know, does he worry about the younger generation in, in the village that he's from? And he said, you know, when I was young, the mind was still and the body was busy. He said, now what I see is that the mind is busy and the body is still. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's simple, but it's so profound. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, right? And so um, I think we just have to recognize that because of technology, We are now forcing more tasks upon ourselves. One of the guys in the film actually is one of the expert uh, medical uh, health experts. He actually made a really good point. He said, you know, when I was a kid, and I mean, this guy's like, he's under 40. He said, when I was a kid, you know, when we would book travel, we would call the travel agent. And he said, now who's the travel agent? It's me, (laughs) right? Because all I have to do is go online and I can do all these things online relatively quickly and easily. Mm -hmm. So we've taken on more tasks ourselves because everything's gotten so much simpler and so because of that now we have a million tasks and it's not that we can't do them what happens is we become uh overstimulated we have decision fatigue we have too many things occupying our brain space what do you call that Um, decision fatigue decision fatigue you know almost like there's too many things to to decide i love it i totally have that decision fatigue i never knew (laughs) how to call that that's right you ever get up in the morning and like go to your closet and try to figure out what clothes you're going to oh, wear? And you're just looking uh, at it, going, "Uh, <laughs> right." And so, th- you think you think this is a problem for people, you know, 80 years ago in in, uh, in Okinawa? You know, I, I don't think so. It was probably very simple for them, right? So we've created too many uh, problems for ourselves, and these are simple things. And it comes back down to just reducing the clutter, 
um, the clutter in our tasks, the clutter in our foods, the clutter in our households, the clutter in our uh, makeups, in our cleaning products, in our shampoos. We have too much. We need to get rid of some of the stuff. I, I mean, I don't know when toothpaste was invented, but it's relatively soon, recent. <laughs> and I'm not saying toothpaste is bad, but think about all the things that we have now that probably didn't exist 100 years ago. Yeah. Deodorants, toothpastes, shampoos, you know, conditioners, uh, all kinds of makeup, um, countertop cleaners. These things are disrupting us in so many ways. Not only are they chemicals, but they're literally killing the microbes that are all around our environment. And here's, a, here's an interesting study, I think, that, that kind of shows why we need to be in touch with microbes. There was a, a, a recent study that showed that people who washed their dishes by hand had stronger immune systems than people who used dishwashers. And the reason is, is because when you wash a dish by hand, you're, you're not as thorough. You know, you're not killing as much. You might have a little bit of food particle over here, a little bit of things there. And so you're in touch with some more microbes. And those microbes act to signal the body and help stimulate the immune system, sort of almost like exercise, right? Um, there's been numerous studies that have shown that um, kids that live on farms have less allergies and less asthma. Even asthmatic kids who live on farms have a reduction in symptoms compared to the asthmatics who don't live on farms. So people who have pets actually have less immune problems than people without pets. So we're supposed to be in touch with our environment. You know, the microbes are good. These viruses, these bacteria, we need them to stimulate us. And so think about our culture with um, hand sanitizers and antibacterial soaps and the detergents. And uh, we've been marketed to, to to kill everything, to kill all the bugs around us. And we think they're going to kill us, right? And this is ludicrous because for our entire human existence, we've been in close contact with these these microorganisms. And it is through the stimulus of these microorganisms that we, that our biology understands how to uh, interact with the world. Of course. But because we're not, now we have food sensitivities and autoimmune diseases like crazy, right? Everybody has a sensitivity to wheat and dairy and egg and corn and soy. You know, this is what I'm seeing in the U.S. and in Canada uh, and the U.K. and the people that I work with. Um, there's so many immune system challenges because our immune system doesn't understand what to, to to attack anymore. And I think it's because we haven't challenged it. We haven't, we've been giving it the wrong things. We've been giving it the wrong challenges. Instead, we want to challenge it with biological organisms as opposed to chemicals and toxins. And so, you know, it's, it, the science gets deep and it is complex, but the answers are simple. And it just gets back to the environment. Wonderful. We're speaking with Jason Prawl, the director, writer, and producer of the Human Longevity Project, who's joining us today from Seattle, Washington, humanlongevityfilm.com, the website in this week's episode of An Organic Conversation, The Human Longevity Project, Unraveling the Secrets to a Healthy Life. I am Helge Helberg. Jason, we're almost out of time, but um, I have about 500 other questions. Um, <laughs> Uh, first of all, are the U.S. and China, as the most industrialized countries, also the least healthy? Yeah, I think um, it's hard to say who's sort of the most unhealthy. I would say that, the, that yes, the U.S., China, um, perhaps Japan and the U.K. and Australia, I think we're on the worst trajectory, perhaps. You know, the, uh, that, that already, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't about pointing out like who's the, the worst country, yeah, but really yeah. <laughs> interesting that the ones who are the most seemingly advanced 
and right. certainly should be the absolute healthiest are clearly at least not the healthiest. Yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're, we're definitely not. I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next generation, I think. Um, I think what you're going to see is a bifurcation. And this is just my own sort of thinking here, which is to say that the people who are, who are recognizing the problem and that feel that they need to change their lifestyle and that do so will, will start to improve their health. And the people who don't will continue to see health decline. So I think we're going to see still rising rates of various diseases. But I also think that we're starting to see, at least in the U.S., what I, what I recognize is this uh, awareness growing uh, about I have the power and that it's incumbent upon me if I want health to do the things that are healthy. And things like yoga and meditation and uh, building relationships, right? Um, uh, here, here, this is important. Um, I asked every person around uh, that I spoke with, all the, the, the elders that I spoke with around the world, if there's one thing that you can do, you can tell me to, um, to improve, to, to live a long, healthy life, what would it be? What would be the advice that you would give? And nearly all of them, a large portion of them said, maintain good relationships with those around you and hold no grudges. So when you have a large percentage of the people that you speak with that are living into their 90s and 100 in a healthy way tell you that, it starts to show you how powerful that is. And so, you know, those that's, that's always under our, under our control. How can I improve the relationships those around me? And if it's a bad relationship that can't be mended, then maybe I should, you know, excommunicate that from my life. So focusing on relationships. How can I um, eat better? How can I uh, create a, a, a change in my perception and my mentality about things? Um, so I think we're seeing this. You know, people are, are organic food is now more popular than ever in the U.S. Um, and so I think we're, we're you absolutely can turn around your health. I see it all the time. I mean, I work with these people, uh, many people that turn around that completely turn around from multiple sclerosis, from uh, all kinds of autoimmune conditions. Uh, Crohn's and colitis and all these things. and But the thing is, is that there's no magic cure. The thing is, is that we have to do as much as we can to make good decisions about our health. And first of that, part of the, the first part of that is just recognizing what it is I need to be doing. Mm. And this is really the, the point of the film, to show how simple lifestyle changes, like focusing on your sleep, like getting outside, like mending relationships, like birthing naturally. This is another part of health and longevity that rarely gets talked about. How are we birthing children these days? You know, vaginal birth versus C-section versus uh, breastfeeding and, uh, you know, formula, formula, Mm -hmm. right? So these are very, very important components because that's where the baby's immune system will be formed for the rest of the life. And so we have to look at the whole picture. And I think we don't have to be perfect, but, you know, we just have to start making uh, better decisions and becoming more aware of of the power that we hold, I think. You know, this film was supposed to be an empowering message, a message to say you have health that was built within you. It is already there. How can we unlock it? How can we bring that forth and get out of the way so that disease doesn't manifest? And if, if disease and dysfunction is already there, how can we realign, you know, you with your natural state such that disease starts to fall away? And this is what we see. And so it can be work for sure, you know. Uh, emotional traumas are a big one. You know, childhood traumas that we have when we're kids, a uh, big, big part of this. So there's some inner work sometimes that we have to do. But we can absolutely make this happen. And this is all captured 
on your website, Human Longevity Film, where I believe humanlongevityfilm.com, people can watch the films for free, or is there a small charge for it? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's completely free. We, um, we will be launching the film May 7th um, this year, so uh, just a couple weeks. Um, that's when we will launch the first episode. So we're going to be releasing episode one uh, first, and that'll be free for a 24-hour period. And then after that, episode two will come out. for, And this is all for free. So you just have to enter your email address, and we won't spam you or anything. We'll just let you know when, when the first episode is, is out. And the whole point is to spread awareness. Congratulations, and thank you for all your passion and work. And I'm sure you inspired many people more now to check it out, our listeners. As far as we know, um, enjoy exactly this kind of information and um, all the work you've put into the Human Longevity Project. That's Jason Prawl, the director, writer, and producer of the Human Longevity Project, the film series available humanlongevityfilm.com starting May 7th and then every week or so you said there will be a new episode? It will actually be every day so we will be going uh, live for about a 10 day stretch or so um, where we'll Amazing. be releasing the whole film. <clears throat> Wonderful. Good luck with that. Good luck with your future projects or evolutions out of this and um, keep us posted and yes, thank you so much for your time and all your work again. Thank you. Wonderful to have you. Talk soon. Thanks, Jason. The Human Longevity Project, and yes, one key component is a healthy diet, organic food-based, regional, local, if possible. And that brings us to the update from the produce market here in San Francisco of what's coming to your produce aisle in your health food store this week and how to buy it, how to look for it, how to get a good deal on it, um, and how to store it at home and how to eat it even. The experts from Earl's Organic, that's earlsorganic.com. Here is what's in season. This time, not with Earl Herrick, the founder of Earl's Organic, but with one of his expert buyers that we had on the show previously. Anthony, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Helpful. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thanks for making the time. It's a busy time, end of April. What's what's on your plate? So one thing uh, that I that I definitely wanted to touch on as we move into the Cinco de Mayo kind of celebration <laughs> time is uh, what's on everyone's mind, which is guacamole and avocados. So nice. <laughs> um, we are we are now entirely into the California season uh, when it when it comes to production of avocados and um, Mexico. There, there's still occasional Mexican fruit coming across the border, but for us at Earl's, supporting supporting local and kind of following the flavor and the best fruit and vegetables during the season, we are now entirely into California avocados. Nice, and we've we've said that in several segments actually, because avocados are such a relatively high priced item. You want to make sure you handle it well and right. And there's this end of the season of one crop where the avocado behaves very differently because the oil content is so high, and you you don't have much time. And now we are getting into or are into the California crop. Um, what's your what's your storage tip? What's the difference between the two? Can you break that down one more time? Yeah, so uh, you know when 
when the fruit is less mature, kind of the, the early season crop, and there is lower oil content, uh, the, the fruit just has a, a tendency to behave really weird. Um, it, once it, you know, exposed to different temperatures or timelines, the, the fruit, you know, it, it will kind of uh, almost look like it, it's sucking air, you know, more of a, a stranger term, but kind of pitting almost, or um, it, it can get it can just behave very oddly. Mm -hmm. But um, now, you know, with uh, where we are in the California season, kind of right in the middle, maybe late to middle uh, season on California fruit and production, the fruit is very stable and it's behaving quite well. um, And it's also eating really, really well at this time. Meaning you should look for California, Mexico, the last Mexican avocados, you might get a good one, but they might already kind of getting into the over over ripeness, right? And and if you do get a Mexican one, eat it right away because it won't last on the counter. Um, with California, it's a little bit more forgiving, right? You can what you know about yeah. an avocado, you you pick them somewhat firm, maybe slight give, but they also have two three days on your counter. You don't need to put them in the fridge. Is that right? That's that's correct. You're you're right on and. There, there is still some Mexican fruit around at this point that, that is eating fairly well, but um, you have to keep in mind that with the end, the very, very end of that season, that fruit is actually going to be very mature and have a higher oil content, actually sometimes too much, which could leave that fruit with, uh, with almost a rancid type of flavor to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I've had that. And um, Mexican, would, you would want to eat that or cut that much more firm right now than you would a a california piece of fruit you would want that california fruit uh, in the middle of the season to be much more soft and uh, have a much you know darker color to it just because of that's where we are in the season interesting i I don't know how much retail stores really make a point of pointing that out of saying this is avocado uh, from mexico and you want to eat it really firm because if that has substantial give most likely the oil will already be going towards rancidness if it's california you can it absolutely can have a give and it eats beautifully Uh, we are talking about a fairly high priced items right the prices for avocados have gone up quite a bit and in the last years and so you don't want to lose you know if you buy two or three avocados and they're all overripe that's really disappointing yeah it absolutely is and it it seems like as the the demand for avocados increase not not only with the state you know, within the state of California, within the entire country, mm-hmm. and now also even more of a uh, worldwide demand. Um, there, there seems to be more and more demand for California-specific exports uh, mm-hmm. across the globe, which is uh, really kind of driving the, the state's marketplace with avocados mm-hmm. and maintaining a high level of pricing throughout the entire season. Right. Yes. And so for a consumer to know if you get a Mexican, know if where your avocado comes from, not because of the cultural and social, but really for your eating uh, purposes. If it's Mexican, eat it really firm. If it's California, that's okay. You can keep it on the counter and um, eat it more softly. Uh, might make a difference of four or five dollars, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you really want to stay ahead of it and, and be aware of what you're buying and consuming. And, you know, when, when you go back, there are certain retailers that would place, you know, a California piece of fruit on the same rack as a Mexican. 
and it's really up to you know the consumer in the to end know. to really know what yeah. they're buying and <laughs> it's the simplest advice is you know look at the sticker um the sticker on all fruit you know apples avocados whatever it is you know look at the sticker and, and really ask questions and and be aware of what you're buying and it, it would say absolutely like there's no even if it gets co-packed or if it is is mexican grown it would say product of mexico absolutely yes it it is uh, uh fruit is required to have the country of origin on, labeling on the sticker gotcha even if it arrived in san diego and got repackaged somehow whatever it would still need to say product of the us or product of mexico and people can rely absolutely. on that absolutely great that's that's a wonderful tip Wow. Okay. Cinco de Mayo. Yes, that's my birthday, actually, always. Uh, uh, <laughs> so this is a very appropriate topic. I love avocados. Do you have a re quick recipe tip for, for a really simple, good guacamole? You know, I, I always like to say the, the more simple, the better. So as long as you're getting high-quality ingredients, you know, get some really great avocados, organic local California avocados and Some fresh limes and and cilantro and just a little bit of jalapeno and and That's everybody it. will love it. <laughs> Great. That's Anthony Marashada from Earl's Organic Produce uh, this week on avocados. Thank you so much, Anthony, and for your time and uh, good luck this week with the incoming produce and specifically with avocados. And thanks for supplying those to us. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have you back soon. Take care. All right. Thank bye. you. Bye bye. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. And Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. Also, Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef? Have a catering business or planning a party or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. 
For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.